know it is October 11th, and that's hard to believe. We're in the last quarter of 2020. This this year seems to have just flown by. In the midst of everything that's going on, things just, just seem to be going faster and faster. Stores are not only preparing for Halloween, but are also starting to put up some some Christmas stuff. I mean, give me a break. Slow, slow down just a little bit. We don't need to get a jump on all the Christmas stuff as well. Soon we'll be hearing the, the Christmas songs on the radio and, and things of that nature. But the year as a whole seems to go uh, too fast. It seems like to me, I don't know if you've felt this, but it seems like the older that I get, it seems the faster time goes by. Am I the only one? So when I was a kid, it seems like things just went a little slower, right? We get to anticipate what is happening and what is going on. Um, I, when I was a kid, I, I remember I couldn't wait to be an adult. Man, when I get, when I get older, I'm going to do whatever I want to, and nobody's going to tell me not can eat ice cream for breakfast and pizza for breakfast and go out and stay out for as long as I want. That's what I looked forward to. But now as I'm an adult, I kind of wish I could turn back the hands of time or at least slow things down enough that I can just, you know, catch my breath. And um, specifically, I remember as a kid, right, especially around Christmas time, that anticipation Right, maybe this is a more adult thing that I don't have that same sense of anticipation that I used to as a kid. And I know my mother's watching online, but um, as a kid, you know, I would get excited. I wanted to put the tree up, very different than than now, but I wanted to put the tree up because I knew that uh, presents would soon be put under the tree, and that just heightened the anticipation. And I mentioned my mother, she probably doesn't know this, but I used to go through and take a peek at some of those packages that were under the tree. I just I just couldn't wait. And, and after a while, she got a little slick where she wouldn't name all the packages, so that just meant I had to go through all of them. I couldn't wait. I, I wanted just to get a, a peek. I wanted to get a glimpse of what we would be opening on Christmas Day. That was an enjoyment that, that I had, and I just it just made me that more excited because I knew what was coming. Then I would be able to have it on Christmas Day and use it and play with those toys that I were, was able to get. That was exciting. Or fast forward to my wedding day. Um, again, still kind of impulsive. They say it's bad luck to see your bride before um, she walks down the aisle, but I just I couldn't I couldn't wait. I just just had to get a glimpse, just to see what she looked like, and it was, that was exciting as well. And uh, present I couldn't wait to unwrap either. So today we're going to talk about what it looks like to have a glimpse. Christ takes his disciples and gives them just a glimpse of his glory. And that should provide, that should have provided the disciples with some excitement, with some anticipation as to what was yet to come. So turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 9. The Gospel of Mark will be in chapter 9, starting in verse 2. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Here God's word reads, after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John 
and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them. His clothes became dazzling, as no launderer on earth would whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he didn't know what else to say since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, there was no longer uh, saw any, uh, anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept his word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, why did the scribes say Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. Let us pray. Gracious Father, what a a great joy and honor it is to be here in your house today that we're able to open up your Holy Scripture and hear what you have to say to us this morning. Father, help us to, to dive in and to uh, learn what this has to say for us, uh, not just for the people, the hearers of this text, but also us here today in 2020 and what it means for us and how we might apply it to our lives and be excited with anticipation that we get to see your glory. Father, give me the words to say and how to say them this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, in, in your sight. my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here we are this morning in our texts where we see Jesus. He's taking his inner circle of disciples and he's taking them to the mountaintop. So he has Peter, James, and John and taking them on a a trip up the mountain. The text says that he was transfigured. Now, in Matthew's account, he's telling this this same story, and he's saying that uh, by the time that they got up there, uh, the disciples, they were tired, they were weary, maybe because it was the thin air. uh, It was a long journey up to the mountaintop. They had gone to sleep. They were worn out. And soon they wake up, because there was this bright light, but yet it was not daytime. And they were waking up. We don't know who woke up first, but I can imagine whoever woke up first, they start hunching the others like, hey, what's going on here? What's, What's happening? As they saw Jesus transfigured, meaning that he was transformed or changed outwardly to reveal his true essence. The text says his clothes became dazzling. In Psalm 104 and 1, it says, My soul, bless the Lord. Lord, my God, you are great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. And that is 
what they see here. You see, when, when they had this, uh, back in this day, people didn't really wear white clothes, right? Because they walked everywhere. It, it was dusty in the, in the desert. So as soon as you walked out, it would just, it would just get all dirty. They didn't have paved roads like we have here today. And it says like no launder could do it because even if you got it and they didn't have washing machines, not a, right? And so everything would be dingy and brown. But what they saw here was dazzling and pristine and bright. This was completely and totally unusual. Verse 4 says Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking to Jesus. The appearance of Moses and, and Elijah that represent the, the coming together of the Old Testament and the prophets. This is a, like a, a foreshadowing of what is yet to come. Each of these sections of the Old Testament had prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. You know, we have Moses, the giver of the law, and then we have Elijah, the, the one who uh, restored the people. And at this very moment, we begin to see the fulfillment in, in person and in the work of Jesus Christ. They're, they're talking with one another, and they're talking about what Jesus is about to go. They're talking about his death, what is yet to come. In Luke's account, it says, they appeared in glory. This is Luke 9 and 31. They appeared in glory, and they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The word that's translated here as departure is actually the, the Greek word for exodus. Much like the exodus where Moses led the people of God out of bondage of Egypt into the promised land, Jesus here in this portion, would lead the people of God out of bondage of sin and lead them uh, through his death and resurrection. Both Elijah and Moses were forerunners of Christ, again, representing the prophetic tradition and appointing directly to the Messiah that they had anxiously waited and anticipated. Malachi 4 and 4 talks about this, where it says, remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinance I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send you a prophet, Elijah, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Look with me in verse four, in verse five, where Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Look, set up, let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say. Do you know somebody like Peter who just talks incessantly? He just has to fill the space, and there he's he's so uh, he's nervous, he's so terrified and afraid. He's he just has to fill the air. He doesn't know what to do, and so he, he he's continuing to be impulsive and right out of the mouth. This was Peter, and Luke's account it says Peter he he didn't even know what he was talking about. He just was amazed by what was happening. And it's like, well, since, hey, uh, we got the three of you here, 
hey, let's roll out the hospitality, the red carpet, and let's make some shelters for Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. Man, and it's cool to be here, by the way. <laughs> it's really, I'm glad we were able to see this, have no idea what he's looking at. But he knew that was something amazing. He knew there was something special happening right before his eyes. He's looking at the other two. Man, this is cool, right? <laughs> this is great. What should we do? What, is, what exactly is happening here? Let's do something. You know somebody like this? Just trying to figure it out as they go. Then imagine what happens next. In, in verse 7, it says, A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And if he wasn't scared before, they're certainly scared now. What is going on? We've got Jesus. He's, he's transfigured. He's, he's glowing. He looks different. We've got Elijah and Moses, and now all of a sudden this cloud. And this voice comes and tells us we should listen to them. At the time, the disciples would have put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. But when the voice of God is heard, is saying to them that, that uh, just as we saw in Jesus' baptism, it lets them know that Jesus is on a whole different level. Remember to Jesus' baptism in Mark 1 and 11, where a voice came from heaven and says, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. In that time, we got to see uh, each person of the, the Trinity in that area. Jesus being baptized, we got the, the voice of God and also uh, the Holy Spirit as a dove. And this reminds them of that very time. This also refers back to what Moses says to his people in Deuteronomy 18, where it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers and Let's listen to him. This is important that you stand who Jesus is. And remember last, last week we talked about who Jesus has, has told us that he is. Here we continue. We must understand, not only know who Jesus is, but we ought to listen and obey. Jesus is, in fact, greater than the law. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the, the two highest representatives of the Jewish religious system. He's greater. This is the, the whole um, theme of the book of Hebrews, how Jesus is greater. What is taking place is something extraordinary. Throughout the Bible, we see, whenever we see these people going to the mountaintop, there's something special that happens and takes place. It's at the top of the Mount Moriah where the sacrifice of Isaac is averted and the Lord provides another sacrifice. We see this in Genesis 22. On top of Mount Sinai is where the law is given in Exodus chapter 19. Mount Horeb is where Elijah encounters the Lord in 1 Kings and 19. Also through the Old Testament, the, the cloud. Remember, this cloud appears and the voice of God comes down. We see this in the Old Testament of a, a picture of God's divine presence. We see this in Exodus 13, Exodus 19, Exodus 33, Numbers 9. The brightness of Jesus' garments is reminiscent of the, the Shekinah or the divine presence of 
the pillar of fire. All these taken for, for taken together. This is like sensory overload. There's so many things happening here at once. Um, it's a lot for us to read, a lot for us to take in and imagine. But imagine just being there. It's, it's a lot to handle. But the disciples would have been familiar with everything that was going on. It should have harkened back to remind them of what the Old Testament prophets had said. Verse 9, it says, They were coming down the mountain, and he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Why does Jesus say, don't tell anybody? We see this uh, quite often, right? Jesus does a miracle, and he tells people, hey, don't tell nobody about this, all right? And, and before, he, he's saying, look, this is not my time yet. This is leading up to something. And especially here, they can barely understand what's going on. Imagine they, they take this information and go share it with people. We know the telephone game. It, it starts on one side, and as you go down the line, this, this story morphs and morphs and morphs into something just totally unrecognizable from the very beginning, especially if you don't understand. Boy, do we have a lot of that going on now. Instead of uh, understanding the root of something, we take the articles and snippets that we see online and on social media and we run with those things without really understanding the facts and the statistics behind the, the article title. If the disciples had gone and started talking about, hey, man, we were with Jesus, we were asleep. Then all of a sudden we woke up and he's like the sun and, and, and it's bright and shining and bright. And then we had to heard this voice. And I think he was Elijah and Moses. First of all, people would have thought that he was crazy. <laughs> what are you talking about? And they would have made up in their head what they thought it meant. So in order to, let's, let's stave this off a little bit. This will become more clear as we continue to journey together one another. But for right now, keep this between us, okay? You will see, you'll understand when I rise from the dead. Through and for another loop. What, what do you mean, rise from the dead? What, where are you going? You're the king. You're the Messiah. Nobody's going to kill you. We won't let that happen. And so they, they took this, and verse 10, it says they kept their word to themselves. And, but it, it, it sparked some more questions about what he meant from the rising from the dead. And then verse 11, I was like, well, uh, we don't understand that, but l- let me ask this question. Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Again, this shows the misunderstanding that the disciples had. They understood the, the, the concept of resurrection, but even going back to the Old Testament, when in Hebrews 11 and 19, it tells us that Abraham was ready to follow God's commandment to sacrifice his son. Um, Abraham expected that um, he would sacrifice his son and that his son would be resurrected. So that's why he was okay going forward with what God had asked him to do. But instead, God provides another sacrifice. Elijah himself raised a widow's, widow's son from the dead. We see this in Second Kings and 4. So this wasn't a foreign concept, this rising from the dead. But again, it's their misunderstanding about what the Messiah was there, who he was, and what he was there to do. 
they didn't understand that it was being applied to Jesus because they just couldn't fathom that he would suffer. They couldn't imagine that he would come to die. So they changed the subject. With all the talk about Moses and Elijah and resurrection, the disciples asked, why the scribes say Elijah must come first? Jesus then uncovers something that should have helped them kind of connect the dots. Scripture had already predicted that the coming of Elijah prior to the day of the Lord as well as the suffering Messiah. We see this in passages like Isaiah 52 through 53 when we think of this. In fact, if you read the whole Old Testament in light of Genesis 3 and 15, it should be all laid out pointing to a Savior that will suffer and be treated with contempt, be killed and and rise from the dead. Elijah returned in the form of John the Baptist, but rejected and killed. And lo and behold, they would do the same to Jesus. Even though Jesus isn't the kind of Messiah that the nation of Israel expected, he is exactly the Messiah that was needed. Even though he looked defeated, he was actually victorious. Even though he walked around and looked like just a regular dude, he was actually God's son. Even though he dies and was buried by men, he was raised and exalted by God. Again, thinking back to my wedding day when I just had to get a glimpse of my bride before the ceremony. You know, it wasn't until she started walking down the aisle that everything hit me. As I was looking out down the aisle as she's walking down, it it really hit me and occurred to me that this is the woman that I pledged the rest of my life to. This is the woman that I will cherish and be with the rest of our days. But not only that, but thinking about, hey, she's committing herself to me. That we would be together. This this is a serious gift. This this was an impactful gift thing. Brothers and sisters, this is a a picture of Christ and the body of believers known as the church. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and received eternal life. Jesus took his three disciples up on the mountaintop to give them a quick preview, a, a glimpse of his glory yet to come. And brothers and sisters, he wants to take you and me to heaven, to glory. Not just for a glimpse, but forever. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with me forever. We, the church, wait with great anticipation for the day that that we will be reunited to the bridegroom. The question for us today is, will you follow him? The question for us is, 
Will you trust him? If you'll follow him and if you'll trust them and until he comes back, will you remain faithful to him? Revelation 22 and 20, we'll end with this. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Won't you stand as we conclude our worship this morning?